uh, our Christmas Eve service has functioned for us like an opportunity to invite, a place to invite folks that may not normally go to church uh, with us, friends, neighborhood, you know, folks, coworkers, that kind of thing. It's always a joy to have them. Uh, this year, given, you know, COVID and all that, one of the things that we're doing is we're turning the San Jacinto thing into that opportunity to invite folks. So if you're kind of like, well, oh, man, I was going to invite, you know, my neighbor or somebody to Christmas Eve service. Invite them to San Jacinto. Um, it's going to be out in the open air, so everybody should feel comfortable regardless of how they feel about COVID stuff. Uh, and it, it'll be a great opportunity for them to hear uh, the story of Jesus through songs and readings and through uh, preaching the gospel, really. And, and really, it is... I keep, I keep every day, I keep thinking the city's going to find out about this and like ask us not to do this. But somehow we just have this opportunity to take our church basically down into the heart of El Paso in the middle of Winterfest and talk to people and tell people about Jesus. And so we're just going to take it, uh, which is amazing. So we want to do that. And then Day after Christmas, uh, let me encourage you, man. One of the, I know you're probably thinking like, oh, day after Christmas, I don't know if I want to come to church. Let me encourage you to, to come uh, for two reasons. One, uh, I, I think it is, it is going to be a unique and fun service for us. It's going to be kind of a family service. We're going to do, we're going to have, a, I think, one or two of the kids' ministry teachers help teach the lesson, the story of Ruth and Boaz to the kids. And there may be, may I emphasize may, be a special appearance from the, our beloved friend who moved to Canada, that furry woodland creature, world famous Freddy the Moose. Maybe, maybe, okay, we'll see, we'll see. I don't know, Freddy's, he's busy, he's got an agent now, it's hard to get in touch with him, um, but maybe. And uh, it's gonna, and I think that service is gonna be awesome. It's gonna be us ending the year together after a crazy year, uh, and I can't wait to do it. All right. Well, with that, let's open the Bible to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. If you are new to the Bible, we welcome you. Uh, maybe you wandered in through the Christmas season. We're glad you're here. Um, if, you, if I say Ruth chapter 3 and you're like, I don't know what to do, just pull out your phone, Google Ruth 3, ESV, English Standard Version is what we're going to use, and we'd love to, to introduce you to this part of the Bible. Um, I think you'll connect with it if you're new, and I, and I hope it, it makes you want to learn more and continue coming to learn about the Bible. It's what we do every week. Uh, now, for the Advent and Christmas season, we're talking about the little town of Bethlehem, but not during the time of Christ, uh, centuries earlier, during the time of the judges. But we're going to learn the backstory to the Christmas story, as it were. Now, this, as we've talked about, is kind of a Hallmark movie-esque chapter uh, story in the Bible. It has all the ingredients you need for a good Hallmark movie, okay? One, it has, you know, it has a, a, a young woman that's experienced hardship. So in Ruth's case, she lost her husband, you know, and, and tragically, you know, hadn't had any kids or anything. And so she's left alone and her father-in-law dies as well. His brother dies. Everyone's sad. And she has no real, you know, home anymore. Then there's also her mother-in-law, who is a bitter old lady. Every Hallmark movie always has like a bitter old person, right? whose heart gets warmed by the end. But they start off bitter, like Scrooge, you know. And, and it just so happens to have a very rich, very eligible bachelor who it just so happened never ended up getting married. All right? And so you begin to see, oh, I see what they're going to do. And a town who really has lost the true meaning of Christmas. Or maybe a better way to say that, that this town that in the time of the judges, it is a challenge to find joy and hope amidst all the chaos and war and famine around them, but who by the end, the entire town rejoices at what takes place. And it ends with a singing, dancing, musical number as a baby is born and everybody is happy and passing out hot chocolate. So we'll get there next week. But the main point of the book of Ruth, I don't want us to lose this, is the kindness of God. That's the theme chapter after chapter. And the main point today is that the kindness of God and his posture toward us shapes our posture toward him and others. The kindness of God and his posture toward us shapes our posture toward him and others. Now, we're going to look at this in three sections. Before we do, let's ask for God's help. Uh, Lord, we ask for your help as we open your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, this ancient book has such a beautiful truth, and I do pray that you'd, you would allow us, and through the preaching moment, through, allow us to, to bring out this shining gem of the kindness of God and admire and enjoy it together. Amen. 
All right, first section is our posture toward God. So our posture toward God. Now, we saw in chapter two that, that Naomi undergoes a transformation from chapter one. In chapter one, Naomi, who loses her uh, husband, who loses both of her sons, says when she comes back to Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, which means sweet. Call me Mara, which means bitter. It's like if you'd see a friend that you haven't seen for, you know, for a long time at Christmas and you're like, you know, Julie, how are you? And Julie says, the first thing she says back to you is, I'm not Julie anymore. I'm bitter. And you're like, whoa, Julie. I ran into Julie at the, you know, that's the feel from her. And she says, the hand of the Lord is against me. She doesn't see it. And, and God's hand, kindness is absent her life. But then in chapter two, because of the kindness of Boaz, she ends up finally seeing it, finally seeing the light. And she rejoices that the Lord's kindness has not forsaken us. So she undergoes this transformation. So when we see the kindness of God, how are we to respond? Well, that's what chapter three, the beginning of it, is about. Now, uh, before we jump into chapter three, one thing to note. A number of weeks have elapsed between chapter two and chapter three. So chapter two, uh, Ruth and Boaz meet near the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the end of the barley harvest. So a number of weeks have elapsed. Now, Ruth three, chapter one, this is God's word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, He is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Verse five, and she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, I want to make a huge disclaimer before we continue on in chapter 3. I was talking to a a couple from the church this morning, and they were letting me know they're talking about getting engaged, you know, and they're they're waiting for some things to happen, but but they're kind of moving in that direction. And I told them, well, I want you to make sure you read Ruth chapter 3. This is our recommended practice for engagement. I want you to uh, wait for your boyfriend to fall asleep, break into his home, Uh, throw the blankets off of him and lie down at the foot of the bed and then jump up and surprise him and see how that goes, right? And then kind of half propose to him. And they were just like, you're you're kidding, right? Yes, I'm kidding. This is not, I want to be clear, this is not our recommended cross of grace practice for engagement, ladies. Uh, If your boyfriend has been delaying getting engaged and you want to talk about that, Pastor Vince and the counseling ministry are here to serve you. But we do not recommend this practice necessarily. The, 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 the author of Ruth does not specifically recommend the practice. It doesn't say that, hey, this is the wisest course of action. This is the best way to do this. In many ways, the plan is relatively questionable, but we're meant to see something in the plan that I think is notable. There is, out of like maybe, I don't know about this, I don't know about that, out of all of that, there's one thing in the plan that is notable and commendable, and that is that Naomi is willing to put her faith in God by putting her faith in Boaz. Now, why does she do that? Well, because Naomi clearly sees the kindness of God shining through Boaz in chapter two, right? She sees this is a man of the Lord. This is a generous man. This is a man helping the outsider and the poor and the outcast. And, and so Naomi, seeing the kindness of God, as it were, in Boaz, says, I'm gonna lean on, lean fully on the kindness of God. Now, this is a risky plan to, to kind of go all in on Boaz. What it appears is that Naomi Naomi, what she's trying to do here is a couple things. First, she's trying to get a one-on-one conversation undistracted between Ruth and Boaz, okay? Um, Preferably after Ruth is not sweaty and muddy from being in the field all day, right? To have this conversation, best best shot, you know, just saying. Uh, Probably want to wash uh, for once, uh, and 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 then get him alone somewhere where you can have this conversation rather than just amidst all the fields and all the workers there, uh, and approach him when he's in a good mood, right? So he's just had the harvest, he's celebrating, he's had a big meal, he's like, yes, the Lord is good, and when his heart is full of the kindness of God is when you want to approach him. Now, the other details of the plan. Uh, 
Approach him in the middle of the night. Okay. Uh, Lay down next to his feet. Okay. No one else is around. Okay. This does seem questionable. This is definitely an atmosphere of risk, of physical, romantic charge, even danger if, if Boaz was, was not a godly man. And, and if this plan fails, this is, this is a big, this is a big uh, swing. Because if this fails, if Boaz rejects her, if he makes a, a spectacle of this, if, if he's offended by this, the whole town will hear about it. This is a small town. Word will get around. Anyone there is not going to want to marry Ruth anymore. Boaz rejects her publicly. So why does she do this? Why does Naomi do this? Well, again, she sees the kindness of God shining through Boaz. And essentially what she says is, I see the kindness of God shining through Boaz. We're going to lean fully on this kindness of God in Boaz. It's like this. I, I, uh, do we have any Jeopardy fans? Do you guys like Jeopardy? Any but Jeopardy fans? Yes. Don't be ashamed, nerds. We love you. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I like Jeopardy, but one part of Jeopardy gives me anxiety. Have you guys picked up a lot of things that give me anxiety? Uh, one part of Jeopardy gives me anxiety, which is the end where everybody has like an amount of money and then they get one final question and then they have to wager the money they've earned in the game on their answer to the question, right? And so here's what I've found. When I watch Jeopardy, it doesn't matter how much like money I've got or what the question is, the idea of wagering the money just bothers me. You know, just like you know, say you've got $10,000 and, you, and you're pretty sure, you're, you're 85% sure you know the answer. Most people are like, done, you know, $5,000, you know, that way in case somebody busts, you know, and, so, and they've got this plan, I would bet every time $1, right? Then at the end, I'll have $10,002, right, if I get it right. And you think, well, that's no way to win Jeopardy, but that's what I like because I don't like going all in, like, on anything, just like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm even bad at card games. Do you have to bet or do you have to guess? Like, you know, how, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bluff. I, I don't like bluffing. I'm just, you know, I'm just conservative, and I just slowly bleed out in any recreational poker games. I'm not going to win. I just survive as long as possible. That's the way I, I am. Naomi is the opposite here, okay? Imagine this. At the end of Jeopardy, the answer is, who is Boaz? And Naomi goes, all the money, $10,000. Whatever I've got, we're all in on Boaz. Now, Ruth then follows the advice of her mother-in-law. Now, one of the things that I do love about this that I I can't say a ton about, but one of the things I do love about this that I I wish I could say more is that that Ruth and Boaz seem to have mutual respect for each other, but they're stuck, (laughs) right? And so Naomi sees this and tries to say, Ruth, you know, let's push this forward. And perhaps Naomi is sensing, hey, there's something there. They both really, at bare minimum, they really respect each other. So let's, let's, let's push this forward, which singles is an argument for a godly older friend who loves the Lord and loves you to give you advice about your relationships. This is for free. This is a side note, not related to the point. Find a godly older friend. Now, hopefully one that does not advocate plans exactly like this, but somebody who loves you and loves the Lord. Uh, not just, and not everybody always talks to their peers about their relationships. That's fine. Talk to somebody who's been through it and is like two decades older than you, all right? That's just my advice. All right, that's for free. Let's move on. Now, Ruth follows the advice of her mother-in-law, doesn't say whether she likes this plan or not, but she's like, okay, well, I'll go with it. And I think Ruth, too, we're meant to see, pursues this course of action essentially because of the same reason Naomi does. She has faith in God. She sees the kindness of God in Boaz. She sees he's a godly man. She sees this must be the avenue that the Lord is showing us for his his, uh, preservation of us. So let's go all in here. So verse six, how does this go? Now this is a, just so you know, this is supposed to be suspenseful. We're supposed to think, I'm not sure this is a great plan. What is gonna happen? Verse six, so she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Okay, pause there. You may be wondering what's going on here. Okay, so what would happen is there would be a, a, a flat place kind of out by the fields that they would harvest the barley and they would throw it in the air and the... And, 
when there was evening winds, and the chaff part of the barley would blow away, and the grain would fall to the ground. So they were kind of tossing it in the air and, and basically developing this huge pile of barley grain, and somebody would have to stay and guard it overnight because they'd be doing this in the evening, and then the next day, they'd kind of bag it up and store it and all that stuff. But for that evening, they were just trying to get it separated. So typically, you would leave a servant or somebody like that to guard, and Boaz seems to have no shortage of servants, right, of people with him. But this is why I love this dude, okay? Chapter two, when the meal's coming out, he's on the grill. He's serving people. He's serving his servants. And then here, he is the guy that says, I will stay overnight and guard the grain. You guys go home. You worked hard today. I've got this. Don't you just love this dude? I love this dude. Good example for leadership. That's a whole other message. But... Boaz is there, and, and Ruth is probably thinking, man, he really is a, guy, a man of character. He's willing to stay out you know, all night doing this. So she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And at midnight, which means just the middle of the night, the man was startled, probably because his feet were really cold, and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. Now, here's the other thing about this I love. Uh, You know, it's probably dark. He probably can't see her perfectly. The other reason he doesn't know who she is is he's only ever seen her in the context, remember, of sweat and mud and field work and cuts. And so he's a, a little like, wait, who are you? And so she has to say, I am Ruth. And of course, he's thinking, oh, oh, like, you know, okay, okay, wow. She cleans up pretty well. Uh, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is amazing. So remember, Naomi only told Ruth to go there and then basically present herself to Boaz in this symbol of kind of asking for his help, being under his feet, asking for his assistance, and kind of letting him decide how he's going to help. Ruth... If Naomi goes all in, Ruth like ups the ante and goes all in and basically says two important things. First, she calls herself a servant, a, a maid servant. So this is a servant that, that was not a slave servant. It was a servant that, that could have children um, that, that the, in the ancient world, I'm not saying we should do this, but the, the ancient world, uh, it was essentially a concubine. It could be a concubine. You could have children that would receive your inheritance through a, a servant like that, but Ruth does not leave herself there. She says, spread your wings over your servant. So this, in her saying that, she's getting right up to the line. I mean, if like, if this is proposing marriage, like Ruth gets like right up to the line uh, short of proposing marriage. And here's why. In Israel and in many parts of the ancient world, uh, that image was an image of marriage in some sense. Do you guys remember... Some of you were here years ago when our friend Billy Rays, who's a pastor out in Midland, uh, and he, his family is Middle Eastern, and so he's talking about marriage. He uses this example, uh, this Middle Eastern tradition that was, would have been present in the times of the Bible, where uh, the husband would have this kind of shawl around uh, over him and would, would then, when he's married, then bring his wife under the protection of the shawl. So if you guys were here, you remember Dick and Liz Snow, and Dick is a tall guy. And, uh, and Billy, don't make eye contact with Billy while he's preaching because he'll pull you onto the stage. And so he, Dick and Liz get pulled on the stage and Dick is there and he looked really good in a shawl. He could pull off a Middle Eastern shawl, which I was surprised by. And so he's there, he's got this shawl, he's a tall man. And then he brings Liz, his wife, they're sitting right there. Could you guys wave just so everybody could see you? I'm making you embarrassed again. Not, Billy wasn't enough. And so Liz, I think they've been married for years and years, decades, so that's why this is so sweet. And Liz comes, and, and basically Dick takes the shawl, and she's under the protection of the shawl, under his protection, basically saying, all I have, I'm going to use to cover you. That's what Ruth is saying. She's saying, bring me under the shawl. Marry me. Let me take refuge in you, in a sense. Now, this, this is beautiful. This is bold. This is risky. <laughs> But Ruth leans fully 
on the countenance of God. Like, there is no going back from this. There's no, like, either he's going to say yes, or he's going to say, please never come to my field again, right? There's no like, hey, let's stay friends. It's either marriage or nothing, or like, go away. And look at what Ruth does. She uses Boaz's words here. Remember in chapter two, where Boaz basically says, uh, may the Lord cover you, may the Lord help you. And, and she takes that image of the Lord covering and helping, and Ruth says, you ask that the Lord cover and help me. I'm asking you to be the means the Lord uses to cover and help me, right? She goes fully in on Boaz. And Boaz, in a second, will point out that, that she could have gone after younger men or other men in uh, the town, right? It, either through marriage or just being a mistress. or In other words, if she just wanted a house, if she wanted a stable living situation, there are other people she could have approached. Um, and yet she, she rejects that. She risks her reputation, goes all in on Boaz. And the other thing that commentators point out is Ruth could have, if she had less character, used this in kind of a, of a seduction mode, being taking, you know, having Boaz in a vulnerable moment, vulnerable place. She could have sought to seduce him or, or misuse um, what the Lord's given her, and yet she refrains. She, she respectfully asks for his help. And so here's, here's, I think, the challenge for us then. So what does this mean for us? The challenge is this. Do we as Christians fully lean on God's kindness this way? Fully leaning on God's kindness should feel risky. If, if you're not leaning on God's kindness in a way that feels risky, I'm not sure you're fully leaning on God's kindness. Uh, it, it should feel like, okay, if I do this, there's no going back. That is the Christian life. And, and the, the thing that I think is highlighted here, even against chapter two, is this, isn't a, this is all in. This is everything. This is all the money in jeopardy. This is all the chips and poker. This is everything all in on the kindness of God shining through this man. And this is the path of the Christian life. For example, I know uh, a number of singles, are, are, we have a number of singles in our church, and you may have questions like, you know, will God be enough for me? while I'm single? Will God give me the relationships I need to find, you know, a family and friends and, you know, even romance if God has that for me? Will, will, will God sustain me without that daily companionship at this part of my life? And let me just say this. The, thing, the interesting thing about the book of Ruth is it highlights the fact that all of us start out single and many of us will be single again. Almost all of us will then be single again, even if we're married at some point in our lives. Like singleness is not like, uh, like everybody's married and sometimes married, especially in the church, singles can feel like we're the aberration, everybody else seems married. The reality is if you look at the scope of life, many of us spend more time as singles than married, even if we do marry. So for those seasons, is God enough? Do you fully lean on the kindness of God? A fully leaning means, means saying, look, I partially leaning could look like this. Okay, let me say it this way. Partially leaning could be like, well, I trust God. I'm going to church. I'm trying to do the thing. But there's this person and they're willing to be in a relationship with me and I know that they're not godly and I know it's not right. I know they want to do things that, that you know, don't glorify God. But I'm gonna, I need that because I, I don't want to go all in on this. Or maybe for some, it's, it's the quiet kind of sour comfort of pornography, right? I'm not, I don't have a companionship. I don't have that right now. So I need this. I, you know, I'm coming to church, but I need this to be able to survive. And here's, here's what... Ruth is doing. Ruth is going all in, trusting the kindness of God. Not just with proposing, but even going all in in her coming to Bethlehem, leaving her people, leaving her family behind, going all in. This is her pattern. She is willing to bet it all on the kindness of God again and again and again. That's the path of the Christian life. That's what it should feel like. Now, here, here's the other thing that I think we see in this story. Um, it, it, it is broader than just the world of relationships. Uh, this leaning on the kindness of God, for example, could be in the area of finances, right? For all of us, as we're making decisions about what to spend money on, and even trying to be generous and serve others with the finances God has given us, one of the things that we can do is we can say, well, I know God promises that whatever I invest, he's going to you know, return in eternity. And I know God has promised that he's going to be my provider. And I know God has promised that, that in eternity, all of this you know, won't even matter. I'll have a future with him. But 
it feels really good to spend money on these things, right? Or your career. You, you know, maybe the Lord, you're feeling like the Lord leading you into a career that, that uh, you know, he allows you to serve people in a particular way or something. I'm thinking we have some social workers in our church that they don't get paid as much as they should or teachers or people like that. And, and you're like, man, I don't know. I could go over here and make more money, but I feel like the Lord is maybe leading me in, in this way. But I don't know. I'm going to do this instead, right? That, that feels too risky. That feels like going all in too much. We face these in all the areas of our life, you know? Maybe even in friendship, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk being a friend again. I got burned on that last one. I'm going to risk being a friend again. Christian life, the default, listen, this is what I want to say. The default posture of the Christian life for the disciple is leaning fully on the kindness of God. And I don't think, I think most of us don't like that. I don't like that. I like like a half lean, you know, where I'm still stable, you know. I don't like leaning fully because I don't know if this pulpit is going to hold me, Right. And if I keep doing this, I don't know if it's going to hold me. I don't know if my arm's going to, you know, and it starts to wobble. And you're like, I don't like the full lean. I like the half lean. We'll do half. We'll go half. Ruth goes all the way. Naomi goes all the way, leaning fully on the kindness of God. And the last note I will say here, the other thing she does that I think is a beautiful model for us, as one commentator I read pointed out, is Ruth pleads the words of Boaz back to him. And in the same way, God invites and loves when his people plead his promises and his words back to him. It's not as though God is like, oh, don't bring that up again. You said, Lord, you'd be my shepherd. You said you'd lead me to still waters. You said you'd restore me. You said you'd prepare a table uh, in the, even in the presence of my enemies and the difficulties of my life. And the Lord's like, oh, don't bring that up. That was for another, you know. The Lord is like, no, yes. Yes, tell me, son. Tell me, daughter. Ask me to be your shepherd. Ask me to restore your soul. Ask me to prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. We're to fully lean. But second, second section, God's posture toward us. Our posture is fully leaning on him. God's posture toward us, leaning toward us fully with kindness. We're meant to be in suspense here. How will Boaz react? And in many ways, we're meant to be in suspense. How will the Lord react? When God's people come to him and fully lean on his kindness, verse 10 says this. Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Hear this. I will do for you all that you ask. Right. Ruth goes all in, Naomi goes all in, and then Ruth ups the ante, and he says, I will do it all, all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, and that, that phrase actually is stronger than what comes across in English. It's not just if he is not willing, if he's not delighted, if he does not consider it an honor to redeem you then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, the book of Ruth is an interesting book because it's all about the kindness of God, and yet God never appears as a character in the book. It's not like an Exodus or Genesis where God appears and talks to Abraham. God appears and talks to Moses. People talk about God, but God does, doesn't seem like God talks to people. But that is exactly the point. In the book of Ruth, God speaks to his people through the brush strokes of the character in the book, the characters in the book that display his kindness. In a sense, Boaz is one brushstroke. Uh, Ruth is one brushstroke. Uh, Amy, uh, Naomi is one brushstroke. In other words, he's painting a picture of his kindness using the kindness of people that we're meant to see and say, that is so like the Lord. How like the Lord is that? And in particular, we're meant to see that Boaz, as a redeemer, as a provider, as a protector, as a helper, Boaz is a vivid picture of the kindness of God. We're meant to see Boaz as a godly man, but more than that, we're meant to see Boaz as a picture of God in his kindness. Now, in this most vulnerable moment for Ruth, notice how he acts toward her, not in manipulation, not in taking advantage of her, nor does he mock her and reject her. This vulnerable moment for Ruth. Imagine this moment as, as Ruth speaks this, you know, she's going further than her mother-in-law told her to go. She's saying, please, 
Cover me with your wings. Be my redeemer. Be our family's redeemer. And, and imagine the moment I'm sure hung in the air for a second, because remember Boaz just woke up, right? So he wakes up, he gets, this is the sequence for Boaz, okay? First of all, his feet are cold. He turns over. There's a strange figure in the dark. The strange figure pops up. It's a lady. He, the lady seems familiar, but he, he's like, and, she, and then she announces, it's Ruth. Like, oh, it's Ruth. I love Ruth. And then Ruth proposes. This is the sequence of events for Boaz, right? He could be forgiven for saying, you know, give me a minute. Let, you know, let, let me get back to you tomorrow. I, I need to wake up, get some coffee, and think about this. But Boaz's response, look at that phrase, I will do for you all that you ask. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. That is his response. Ruth is fully leaning on him, as it were, and Ruth is wondering what his posture is going to be back, and Boaz's response is that he fully leans toward Ruth. In fact, it reveals in many ways that he has always been fully leaning towards Ruth. He does not care in this moment that she is a Moabite. He does not care that she is an outsider, that she is a widow, that she's already had a previous husband, that she is poor, that she has no station in life. He fully embraces her and says, all that you ask, I will do. All of it, I will do. And in that phrase, I think, church, we are meant to see a glimmer, a picture, a foreshadowing of this kindness of God toward his people. And the image, oh, the image that Ruth uses, and, and the fact that Boaz embraces it says so much. He doesn't talk her down. He doesn't bargain her down. He doesn't say, okay, listen, you're asking for marriage. You're asking for me to cover you. You're asking for me to redeem you, as we'll talk much more about next week. I'm asking for all these things. I can do a little bit. What if I give you and Naomi some grain for a while? Or what if you come into my household as a, as a maidservant? I don't know about marriage. I want to keep my options open. No, he, he fully embraces her, and he embraces this image of spreading his wings over someone. And that's what's going on with the blanket, by the way, okay? In case anybody's wondering, what is the deal with the blanket? You know, what's, uncover his feet with the blanket. What's going, essentially, what, what, what Ruth is saying is this blanket is a picture of Boaz's protection, and she's asking that it be extended over her, right? Th this is... Remarkable that Boaz's response is yes. All that you ask, I will do. You, yes, I will cover under my protection. Remember, he is a man of considerable resources, has a lot of servants, has a lot of wealth. Apparently, as we'll see next week, has a high reputation in the community, has a standing in the, the area and the land. And he says, all that I am, all that I have, I will use toward you. I will use to cover you. Look, the best way I can, I can describe this, you got to stick with me here, is, is last year, and I've talked, to, talked about this uh, some, but last year when my son Ford had uh, significant kidney issues uh, for a number of months um, and had continued to have concerning lab results, right at the beginning of COVID, uh, his uh, nephrologist recommended that we biopsy his kidney. Uh, because he was concerned that he had a very rare condition that would lead to kidney failure uh, in a number of years if he had this particular condition. And so there's an atmosphere of fear. <laughs> um, we, we show up at the hospital, and you know, normally El Paso Children's Hospital is fun, and there's like a play area. I remember showing up to it that morning. There are like guards with guns and a tent, and it, and it, it looks like, I mean, it looked like a movie. There, and it was dead silent in the hallways. And so we're, we're marching up with him, and he's being brave, and so they do the kidney biopsy, but the anesthesia that they, he has to stay overnight, and the anesthesia that they gave him has a particular effect. It makes him uh, sleepless and agitated. So he's restless, and he's sleepless, and, and even as we go into the night, he's unable to sleep. And you could just tell, and I, I could tell some of it was the anesthesia, and some of it was just the fear that everybody that walks into his room was wearing a mask. You know, for the first time in his life, he can't see anybody's face and, and all of this. And so finally, you know, I'm trying to get him to sleep. I'm trying to do these things. We're reading the Bible. We're listening to his bedtime playlist. We're doing all this stuff. And finally, he just looks up at me and says, Dad, can you sleep with me? Meaning, can you get into the, the hospital bed with me? And I'm looking at the hospital bed. And I'm like, I don't, 
And I just said, okay. And so we, we had to, he had an IV and he's got, you know, monitors connected to him. So I'm trying to push him over to the side. I'm trying to crawl in next to him. And, 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 I, and I remember that there was like a physical change that came over him when I got into the bed with him and put my arm around him. Because he felt, and he did, listen, what he thought was not true. But what he thought was that my dad is here. And even in a scary, uncertain world, he will not let anything bad happen to me. And he fell asleep. In church, I think that's the best image I can come up with to describe what God does for his children. That when God sees his his children, leaning fully on him, saying, I have nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to turn. I am all in with you, Lord. If you don't help me, I have no other hope. And God's response is to lean in toward them and cover them in the shadow of his wings. Boaz demonstrates this beautiful scriptural reality that is true of the Lord. And I'm not making this up. I want you to see this in scripture. What he does is the Lord illustrated. Psalm 36 verse 7 says this. How precious is your steadfast love? And if you're wondering, wait, steadfast love? I thought that's what Ricky said. Chesed can also mean. When, when it's translated in Ruth, kindness, it's the same word. How precious is your kindness, O oh God? The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91 verse 4 says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Look, I want to bring the guys back into the message because when I started talking about wings and like a bird covering a baby bird with their wings, a bunch of the guys were like, I'm out. I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to be like a baby bird and God's like the mama bird and he's covering me. Okay, come back in. Another image is a shield and buckler, right? You can use it. it the, the, the mama bird says something about the comfort and warmth of God's embrace. It's not just a cold embrace, but a shield and buckler says something about the strength and efficacy of his embrace. I mean, imagine that, that you're in the ancient world and you lose your shield and you are suddenly vulnerable and there are spears coming against you where all of, all of a sudden from behind you, your commanding officer comes in with his shield and plants it down in front of you and all the spears and arrows go thump and you know you're safe. And he throws his body over you to protect you. That is the image here. Psalm 57 verse 1, which by the way, Psalm 57 verse 1 is written when Saul is hunting David down to kill him. This is what David says as he takes refuge in a cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Right, this image that there are storms everywhere. We've seen even this week the horrific devastation that storms can bring to our world. And so the picture is the world out there is full of storms and violence and tornadoes. And David finds, he happens to find one cave, one place to take refuge while the storms rage outside where he will be safe. That is the image. And this is what God has done for his people from the beginning, from the history of his people to the end, from from Abraham to Moses to Ruth to David to the exiles to the New Testament church. God has responded to every son or daughter who asks, will you cover me with a resounding, I will do all that you ask. He covers, and and, and this this is the remarkable nature of this. He covers our sins. That the picture of Boaz will be fully fulfilled in a redeemer, Jesus Christ. We'll talk much more about this next week. But the picture of Jesus Christ as the redeemer is he comes and pays our debts. The other image is that he covers our sins. That we, like Ruth, stand in our best clothes. But they're field clothes. They're torn. They're dirty. They have stains all over them. Our sin, our shame, and the Lord just covers it. 
And the other side of the image is, is against the death and the evil and the outside things coming into our So the stuff coming out of us, the Lord covers. The stuff coming from the outside toward us, the Lord covers that as well. He does this by dying in our place on the cross, covering us fully, raising to new life, rising to new life. This is what it means to be a redeemer. The work of Jesus covering his people, covering their sins, covering their injustice, covering their shame, and covering them to welcome them back to the embrace of the Father. And so here, here's where I'm going with this, church. I want to ask you right here at this point of the message, what do you believe the posture of God is toward you today? I think in, in the COVID times, uh, it's made greetings way weirder than they have ever been, Right? Uh, I was just, I was, talking, I was greeting Aaron over here uh, between services, and, and I like put my hand out, and then he did a fist, and so then I did a fist, and then he did a hand, and then we were like, and, and our greeting looked like this, hey, like that, right? You're always judging, like, okay, what are people up for in this time? Uh, you're wondering, like, you see somebody you haven't seen for a long time. You don't kind of know where they're at with this stuff, you know, at the supermarket, and you see them, and you're like... Hey, and you're each, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're each like kind of like, I don't want to go for the hug if they're not going to go for the hug because that's going to be weird if I go for the hug and then they handshake or they, you know, or if they're, if they're backing off and they're, you know, are we waving? Hey, you know, and, and then we end up doing finger guns or something like that. You're like, hey, I, you buckaroo, you know, good to, you know, hey, hang 10, you know, like, I don't know. Picks up miners, go, like, I don't know. And we're constantly in a split second judging what's their posture toward us. And I think for so many of us, as we come to the Lord in prayer, as we come to him in his word, even as we walk in the doors of a church and start singing, we wonder what God's posture is toward us. And for some of you, maybe you've been repented of sin, but your guilt continues to dog you, or you feel a deep shame for something that you have done and your feeling is that the Lord stands there with his arms folded, shaking his head. I think the Lord just gave me this image this morning of someone coming to the Lord, and their picture of God is him with arms folded, shaking his head at them. And you feel a perennial disappointment to God. And I think today, son or daughter of Jesus, if you have trusted in Christ for your sins, if you have believed on him as faith, if you have leaned fully on him for salvation, his posture toward you is not folded arms and a shaking head. It is an open embrace. It is him answering you, all that you ask, I will do. If you come to him and you say, Father, would, Lord, would you cover my sins? All of it I will do. Would you cover my shame? I, feel, I can't, if I can't get beyond this, all that you ask I will do. Will you protect me from, from the, the raging storms of my life? All that you ask I will do. As scripture says, every promise in scripture has its yes and amen in Jesus. And so through Christ, we see even more clearly than Ruth and Naomi did in Boaz. We see the redeemer, the true and greater Boaz, answering every one of our requests. Would you be my shepherd? Would you save me? Would you restore me? Would you give me new life? Would you give me a future and a hope? And we're asking for far beyond what we should ask. And his answer to it all is, I will do it all. Oh, brother, sister, I, I just have a burden for you. See the Lord's posture toward you today. It is not perennial frustration and disappointment. It is embrace. It is you. It is him bringing you under the shield, under his wings, into the refuge. Now, some of you, though, may be struggling um, because I had three points. I'm not going to get to them all. I'm just doing two. I'm just telling the sound people back there. Um, the third point, you can come get me after the service and I'll tell you it. The second point uh, I want to continue with is, I think for some folks, the difficulty is trying to match, okay, if, if that's true, it doesn't feel true in my life right now. Meaning like God's, you say, you're telling me God's posture is leaning toward me, but it doesn't feel like that right now. 
it feels like there's a lot left. You know, I'm asking God for, for, for peace, and I have a little bit of peace, but my life is a, is a wreck. It doesn't feel like the peace of the shalom of God is everywhere in my life. I'm asking for healing. I'm still hurt. I'm still dealing with this. And I'm not healed yet. I mean, you've got an area in your life you're struggling because you feel like, look, I do see something of the kindness of God. I see it on the cross. I see it in Jesus dying for me. But the, the circumstances of my life still feel unfinished. And that's why I think this story is so beautiful. Verse 14 says this. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, side note, Boaz is not trying to cover up something that happened here. He's essentially trying to protect Ruth. He, he says, I don't want you to walk midnight, you know, down the Bethlehem streets at midnight in the time of the judges. And when you leave, though, I don't want people to get the wrong impression. So this is the way that I'm going to do this. And verse 15, and he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Now, you're probably wondering, what is six measured of measures of barley? It's not like six pounds, okay? Six measures of barley, the estimate is 60 to 80 pounds of grain, right? His precious grain that he's just harvested. And two things we learned from this. One is that Ruth is pretty buff. I mean, she's working all day in the fields, and then this dude hands her an 80-pound sack of grain. Ruth is CrossFit classes have been paying off if she throws that on her back and walks home. So is this a biblical argument for girls doing CrossFit? I don't know. You make the judgment. But this is what she does. Second thing you learn is this, that Boaz gives her a down payment on the fulfillment of his promise. This is, this is enough food for a year. Is this everything he promised, Ruth? No, it's not everything. Is it a lot? Yeah, it is. Is it enough for her to, to, to feel that? For, imagine her walking through the doors, we'll see in a minute, to Naomi, and, and she's been carrying this thing, and she drops it on the floor, and the grain spills out all over the hovel, the small home that they're probably in. And Naomi knows this is a down payment. He will not rest until the promise is fulfilled. And church, that is the Advent season for us. Advent means arrival. And in, in the Advent season, we remember the first coming of Jesus Christ. And in his first coming, oh, church, did he leave a down payment. But we also look forward to the second arrival of Christ. Longman and Garland, uh, two commentators, say this. Believers presently enjoy salvation's first fruits, but must await salvation's full outworking. We live in the already and not yet and look to the Lord's second coming when, he, when God will resolve all remaining tension and consummate his every promise. In the meantime, our Redeemer encourages us by giving us a pledge. Boaz graciously guarantees his oath with six measures of barley, but the Lord Jesus guarantees his oath by giving us the Holy Spirit. God's gift of the Spirit demonstrates his trustworthiness and serves as the down payment of our inheritance until we obtain full possession of it. Moreover, Jesus grants his church the sacraments as tangible seals of his grace. And these demonstrable confirmations of Christ's loving kindness or Christ's mercy, uh, Christ, yeah, loving kindness, Christ's mercy, strengthen us amid life's murky ambiguities to keep entrusting ourselves to God's sovereign care and choose to lead lives of love. We can, I love this line, we can take him at his word and wait for the morning when he will resolve all complications. Church, see this. See all of this. See the light. Every light is a promise that the light of the world has come and the light will one day fully dawn. 
See, the promise of God sending his son to us and the fulfillment, the fullness of it in God's son returning for us. When Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And so right now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. We have right now, if you are in Christ, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in your heart. That God has come not just to a manger, but to your heart. That is insane. In the Old Testament realities, that would be unheard of. That you would, you would go not just to the outer court, not just the inner court, not just inside the temple, but to the Holy of Holies and bring the Holy of Holies around with you. That is what Christ has done sending the Spirit into our hearts. But that is just a down payment. So right now, the Spirit brings peace and it brings hope and it brings fullness and it brings fulfillment. But one day it will bring, Jesus will bring it fully when all that there is will be peace. All that there is will be new life. All that there is will be restoration. So Christian, if you struggle to feel, well, I feel God leaning toward me, but does he lean fully? Yes, he does. And every advent is a down payment, is him saying, yes, do you see the sun? Do you see me come? I will come again. I mean, by uh, sharing a quote from Corey Ten Boom, or attributed to her, nobody knows if she actually said this, but it's so good that I would own it if, it, if I was Corey Ten Boom. She says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. In this moment, this is the end of, this, the end of chapter three, and it ends with this twist, right? It ends, it's that part of the Hallmark movie where for some reason, the two people that you know should be together that have already baked cookies and gone look at the nights in New York together, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're supposed to be together, but there's some complication. There's some, oh no, what, but, but, but oh, you, had a, you have a secret fiance or you know, some, some weird thing happens and you're like, oh no. And so the one of them leaves and they're going to the airport and you're like, no, you've got to get to the airport. And then the person decides, no, I'm going to go after her. And they, they're running into the airport. They're going through security and, and you're like, come on, you got to make it. Right, that's chapter three. That's the end of chapter three where Boaz says, I, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming, but, 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 but there is a problem. I got it resolved, right? That's the moment we live in. But the good news is, we already know the end of the story. Ruth chapter 3 and the tension there speaks to the fact that in the Christian life, there will be these moments where you're like, I see the Lord. I see he's, he's right there. He's promised to do these things. But, but what about this complication? Every Christian story ends in Ruth chapter 4, not Ruth chapter 3. Every Christian story ends with the full expression, not just the down payment, but the full expression of the kindness of God. So, um, let's do this. Let's stand and pray, and we're gonna we're gonna sing. We're gonna end by singing about the love of God um, for a particular reason. But uh, let's let's pray, Father. Lord, I pray that as we go today, um, 